Welcome to the Steamboat Springs Winter Sports Club Show presented by Honey Stinger. This is a podcast that will make you want to get outdoors and will give you some great ideas as a sport parent, athlete, or coach. Born in the beautiful mountain town of Steamboat Springs, Colorado, the Winter Sports Club was founded over a century ago and now serves a majority of kids in our community and has produced more Winter Olympians than any other club in North America. There are secrets and great stories to share as we play year-round in these mountains we call home. Our calling is to develop complete athletes on and off the mountain by cultivating a passion for the outdoors and a love of sports at all levels. Stay tuned to hear from Olympians, athletes of all ages, coaches, experts, and people who are doing amazing things to make an impact in our community and in their sport. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former professional triathlete who finally discovered the joys of skiing in my late 40s when I moved to Steamboat Springs with my family. We immediately discovered the Steamboat Springs Winter Sports Club, and it's become a huge part of our lives as my husband, Tim DeBoom, is a ski and bike coach, and my daughter, Wilder, has found happiness, friendship, and joy through skiing, jumping, riding, and more. I am thrilled to bring the positive energy of the Winter Sports Club to people all over the world. Thanks for listening. Now let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to another super fun episode of the Steamboat Springs Winter Sports Club show. I'm here today with phenomenal parents and longtime supporters of the club, Millie and Gardner Flanagan. Thank you both for joining me today. It's great to be here. Excited. I'm happier than a tick in a blood bank to be here. So thank you. (laughs) Oh, we're going to get to what that's all about later on. Um, Well, we invited you on the show to talk about the parenting side of raising athletic kids as you both have special skill sets, which we're going to dig deeply into that will be fun to explore. But before we get to those, I want to hear your story. I want to I want to hear how you found yourself in Steamboat involved in the Winter Sports Club on a variety of levels. So who wants to start? You start. I'll, I'll start. Um, I actually um, the Winter Sports Club was really inter- instrumental in me moving to Steamboat Springs. I came out on a ski vacation with a bunch of friends, good skiers, and happened to come to Howelson Hill one afternoon and watched training. And I was like, wow, this is like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. You know, all these kids, there's kids jumping, there's kids coming down the Alpine Hill. Um, it was just phenomenal. And I was like, I, I really want to be around something like this. So how old were you at that time? I was uh, 25. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so a long, long time ago, <laughs> long time ago. I know. And my story is I grew up in Montana in a ski town and then went to Colorado College and got a degree in comparative literature. (laughs) So I knew I needed a career coming out of college. And I decided, well, what would be a better fit than ski patrol up in Steamboat? (laughs) So I moved up here, tried out for patrol while I was writing my thesis for my comparative literature degree, and then went on to patrol for eight years here and it became home. So oh my God. what was the thesis? I can't even remember. <laughs> uh, I can't remember. I, I feel like I'm sure it was something interesting. 
<laughs> well, a lot of other things happened during that time, but it sounds like both of you were skiers or wanted to be in or near snow or a mountain town when yeah. you were in your younger formative adult years. Yeah, for sure. Like my first jobs when I moved to Steamboat were uh, working on the mountain as a mountain host for a little bit. And also I got into coaching at the Winter Sports Club. So I, you know, within a year of moving here, I actually started working for the club and being part of, you know, just this incredible tradition that we have in Steamboat Springs. And, uh, you know, a lot of the kids that I coached, I'm still friends with. I coached for about 10 years and uh, had a couple of different positions there at the club. And, you know, it really warms my heart because a lot of the kids that, that, that I coached, I'm still friends with. I think important to note also in your mountain hosting that you did wear a baby blue one piece yes. suit. So that may have been what I first saw you <laughs> in on the mountain. Maybe it's possible. Uh, but what I do remember is when I was on patrol and you were coaching, that's when we first started dating. And I can remember being on WJW. Is that the lift we're going to go with? Nope. I'm going to go down lower. Okay. WJW, I think it was. I think. And uh, you're, all of your athletes were behind us in a chair. Um, this is the era of like Mark Gillespie and, you know, those kids must be in their thirties now, maybe forties, I bet. But we were on the chair riding together and they were back there singing a million gardener sitting in a tree, <laughs> K-I-S-S. So really the Winter Sports Club, we big shout out to your athletes that really kind of sealed the deal. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there was, um, uh, a lot of, uh, public displays of, uh, us getting together with the kids and, um, <laughs> you know, the ski patrol and stuff like that. So, you know, it was, yes, we, we were coming from strong skiing backgrounds and very passionate about skiing and kind of fell in love on the chairlifts. Oh my gosh. So I was going to say, is it fair to say you met on a lift basically, you know, yeah, literally and figuratively? I would say we uh, sealed the deal on a, on a powder day on Bar UE. Yes. Not um, like figuratively. A, like figuratively. PG version. Figuratively, oh, yeah. we <laughs> sealed the deal. It might have been when we first said, I love you. <laughs> yes, I think. Or I'm falling in love with you. Yeah. Maybe it was. So, yeah. I mean, oh. it, and it was a big powder day. Yeah. So, oh, all things wow. were good that day. I will say, um, you know, I've actually only picked up skiing in the past few years. I'm like an adult onset skier. And so... <laughs> You know, the first time I do any of these lifts is like terrifying. What's the, what's it going to look like when it drops you at the end? Are you going to jump off or, you know, and bar Yui? I mean, I almost went down that thing. I, I love the T-shirts they have that yeah. say bar Yui is for lovers because right. it is a tight fit on yeah. that one. That's for sure. Did, or did they have those T-shirts before us or do no. you think that might be I us? Think it's, I think it's us. I never thought of that. You were the inspiration. We might be. Yep. We might have been. Oh my gosh, that is so incredible. And I also love that, Gardner, you, you, your personality, the humor, the fun side of you came out even with the um, early days of the baby blue one piece. You were oh, a, yeah. a one piece or a onesie? Oh, no, it was a one piece ski suit and I rocked it. I was all of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Powder blue descent. It was really oh like, my gosh. yeah, it was at the peak of, of powder blueness. Uh, yeah. do, you, do you still have it? No. I wish. I wish we did. I, I, yeah. And at the time, I don't want to create any sort of like um, 
you know, stir anything up. But patrollers and mountain hosts weren't always dating oh, at the time. Oh, that might was, not have yeah. been that might not have been a thing. We were wearing red, remember, with a white oh, cross. Pink was a oh, pink. Cross. It could have been, <laughs> but yeah. But we crossed over. We were like merged. We were like you know very integrated. Yeah, it was kind of like when Nixon went to China, you know, and it was like detente. It was like okay, here's a here's a mountain host and a ski patroller getting along. Oh, my gosh. I love it. It's like, you know, the athletes and whatever, the nerds Mm -hmm. coming together. I (laughs) love it. Um, Well, so so you two found each other through skiing, found each other on the mountain. You were involved with Winter Sports Club. You're involved, Millie, with Ski Patrol. At some point, I think you got married. I didn't find that in my Googling of you, but... um, We are married. You are married. And then you settled here and you started a family. Can you take us through a little bit of those early years? Yeah. I mean, our community really in Steamboat was the Winter Sports Club and Ski Patrol, really, when we started here. That was our family. It still has been our family for now 30 plus years. Um, And so I think we both kept our jobs. We both dated at some point. Maybe first we got married um, here at a ski patroller's house in the yard, Wes and Dano. Shout out to them. And then I went back to school in North Carolina, um, and we both moved down there together for a couple of years. Yeah. I, I was working at Smartwool at the time, and so that was kind of the first uh, location-neutral job that anyone ever heard about because they let me work in North Carolina. But we, we, had only, we hadn't even been married a year and so Millie went to PA school in North Carolina, and I was I was not going to spend the first year of our marriage apart. So Smartwool, you know, the founders, Peter and Patty Duke, were really gracious to let that work out, and I worked remotely. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, you guys are trendsetters in all ways. You know, the yeah, right. Huey Lucy's. thing, you've created satellite workplaces, you know. Right. That's amazing, though. So you went to a completely different kind of culture, you know, the East Coast. We're talking warm. They don't get much snow. And so you lasted there just through your schooling? Two-year program. Uh-huh. Two-year program. We did mainly become basketball fans. I feel like that was sort of, yeah. I mean, the PA degree was nice, but the basketball fandom that we, you know, developed down there was even better. Would you say? Yeah. One of us more than the other. And it's not me. <laughs> right. And then, oh, we, and then we moved back and we were able to buy a house, which, you know, at the time we felt really lucky to do. We might have used one of my student loans as part of the <laughs> money that we put down on the house. Um, and we lived in the co-housing uh, in Butcher Knife, which I don't know if you know that housing, but Dave Stewart lives in that housing now. Yeah, I know. it's pretty well, magical. It is um, so, I always look up there and I'm like, well, there's all these really cool little houses in their own little village. And they're next to this Dr. Seuss kind of greenish, interesting home. But then next to them is a little barn with goats that go on walks with leashes. Yeah. <laughs> like this is that, where we scenario. Live. That was our first house. Yep. There. Yeah. Oh, that's and amazing. So that was your entry. Yeah. That is yeah. so cool. And so you're now, what, eight, going on 30? We are, we've been married 26 years. Okay. Yeah. Not now you're going on 30. I mean, maybe you're going on 30 now, but we're, back we're, trend, we're working towards 30. Yeah, I, I like her optimism. The shirt yeah, says we're delusionally optimistic is the shirt she's wearing. Trend names upwards. We're in the second yeah. half yeah, of our marriage. Yeah, the second half okay. of our marriage. But when you were in the co-housing, yeah. you were going on 30s? Oh, how old were, were we? Oh, she had a different question. <laughs> uh, I We got married when I was 26. Okay. And you were? 35. Yeah. 
35. Oh, yeah. wow. Right. Okay. He's a, I'm a little bit yeah, younger. Nice. It's my trophy wife. Thank you. I was waiting. Oh, gosh, I love that. it. I love it. Yes, of course. That had to come out. Let's yeah. get it out of the way. It's done now. Um, yes. Awesome. So so after that, did you have kids when you were living in that cute little area? Is that when you right. well, started so family? I would just say this. We did not have kids when I was in school. And then we came back and our son Bodhi was born when we lived in the co-housing. But back to the club, even before then, and, and Gardner, you'll have to weigh in, but I remember you weren't working there, but we would just kind of be down at Hallison lurking around the club, like just wanting to be members of the club and to have kids. I remember having this feeling of like, I just want to have kids so they can be in the Winter Sports Club and we can be a part of this. I feel like we, in my mind, I had them so we could hang out at the Winter Sports Club officially. And not sort of, you know, looking a little bit, you know, like people didn't know what we were doing. Yeah, like all of our married friends had kids before us and they were all, you know, going down and skiing on the magic carpet. Or at that point, it was the carrot lift. And I remember like Emily and Lars Hanna and Ben Behrend and they're just racing to get in the lift line fastest. And just, I mean, kind of like the magic that I saw the first time I ever came to Howelson. Um, I was like, this This is just the magical part of Steamboat Springs. And yeah, Millie's right. We didn't have kids, but it felt like we were like supposed to be there. It was, it was really a sense of community, you know, right from the very beginning. So when you made the decision like, okay, we're not just going to be the weird lurking adults who like <laughs> coach and do other things, whatever we can at the club, we're going to have the kids and join it, you know, on that side of the equation as well. Was that part just kind of easy? You were like, let's have kids. Let's go. Let's do it. Um, I, I don't know. It wasn't. We worked pretty hard for both of our kids along the way. And so that, <laughs> I think, made us like them more. And getting up at night was easier in the middle of the night because it had been some work. But, yeah, I think we always knew from our first, you know, Bar UE and all the kids behind us that that was the life we wanted. I mean, I feel so lucky that it's the life we're living. Mm. You know, it just doesn't always work that way. But. You know, I think that life that we dreamt about and sort of, you know, the universe provided in the most amazing way. And, you know, now we're living that dream. Yeah, I I, I remember on Bar UE, I said to you, and we had not kissed yet. I said, um, I know this is going to sound weird, but I can totally imagine having kids with you. Right. Which So that was, that was, you know. Did it sound weird? You know what? It, it, it did not sound weird, <laughs> which is weird that it didn't sound weird. Right. But it sounded like the most natural thing ever. I said, yeah, okay, I know I'm with you on that. And and then we didn't get married for I don't know. We didn't have kids for seven more years, probably after that. But but it was in the it was definitely what we were hoping for. And yeah. And then we've gotten to do it. And was there ever a question that you wouldn't come back to Steamboat? Right. No, we kept I mean, we bought a house before I graduated from school. Gardner had his job here and then I had to find a job. But, you know, luckily that worked out. And right. I kept that first job when I moved back at Steamboat Family Medicine for 22 years. So that was my first job and my only job for a long, long time. So a lot of this has been like rainbows, right? Pretty soon we're about to hit a thunderstorm or a big whatever, tornado, whatever you want to call it. Um, let's talk about your your house journey. So at some point, I think you moved out of the cool little co-op housing and... You yeah. bought a different home or built a home? Yeah. Yeah, we, um, uh, our friends, the Bouchers, who, whose daughter was in the Winter Sports Club, um, 
Butch and Paige Boucher, they had us up to dinner at their house. And we weren't even out of the driveway after dinner. And we both said, gosh, I, I just love this house. And um, they had us to dinner another time about a year later or something. We did not have them over in between. We no, should have them over. We should. Okay. We should Never definitely. had them over? All right. Well, let's hear the rest of this. And and um, before I weigh in, we we were at a dinner again, and I think it was Millie just just said to them like, "Hey, if you ever think about selling your house, we would we would love to buy your house." And as it turned out, um, on the same day that Millie found out she was pregnant with Merritt, exact same day, she in fact you may have been looking at the pregnancy test. The phone rang and she saw Boucher on it and she's like, oh my gosh, we're going to get the house. Yeah, all at once. And so we moved up to Fish Creek Falls Road and yeah. It's, Wait, remember you were away with Smartwool and you were in a meeting room that was kind of empty. And so I did the pregnancy test. I saw the double line. We'd been working. So we were, I was really excited. And then the phone rang. It was an answering machine. So it said, hey, Millie, this is Butch. Give me a call or Millie and Gardner. And I was like, boom, the house. And then I called you to tell you about the pregnancy test. And you looked around the conference table and you there were all these little, there'd been a baby shower in yeah. there. Oh. And it said, it's a girl yeah. on them. So oh there you go. Oh my god! I mean, there was, you know, and there she was, Merritt. She came along. Uh, how old was Bodhi at the time? Four. Oh, wow. Our wow. kids are four and a half years apart. Wow, wow, wow. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. That is Pretty one of those awesome. like kind of unexplainable moments. Yeah. Um, wow. So just pure happiness and joy. And so you moved into the house. We moved into the house. We had both the kids. And yeah, those years, I mean, they were hectic years. I mean, I think when we talk about the club, it's important to note. I mean, it was not all rainbows, right? I mean, we were in the trenches like all parents of young kids who are working full time, whose kids are, you know, doing a million activities and I mean, it was, you know, it was awesome and intense, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was, you know, looking from a club perspective and you love that your kids are growing up this way, but like Bodhi was doing Nordic combined and Alpine and we were at house in, I think, you know, six days a week. It was unbelievable and it was great at the same time. Right. And, and our kids like Merritt grew up napping at the bottom of a race course. I mean, literally, we have so many pictures of her on a bunch of parkas on the side of a hill, you know, and, you know, waiting there at six o'clock at night in Aspen for Bodie's race to finish. And, you know, she was just out like a light, you know, just along for the ride. Oh, along for the ride. Man, that is so cool. But I mean, I get it. You know, yeah, it's wonderful looking back. But in the moment, you, there are a lot of trenches and oh. you're dealing, but you're bringing your kids up in the way you want them to experience life it, as, a, as, a, as an adventure, yeah. basically. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 We, were, we were all in for it. I, you know, I joke sometimes, luckily, we didn't have any other interests, which is, I think, has been helpful because our interests have really been what our kids are doing. And that's worked out for us because it's, you know, it's the it's what we want to be doing. You know, I feel like sometimes we feel like we have to apologize when our life is not balanced as pe other people might define balance with all these things outside of family or work. But at the end of the day, if family and work are fulfilling, why do you need to add in, you know, uh, knitting or skydiving or whatever else might be out there? Right. So I think it's really cool that you guys brought your kids up that way. Well, and a lot of people do it. You know, I mean, it's Ski Town USA and 
we have that great facility, Howlson Hill. And yeah, it is hectic, but I wouldn't have done it any other way. You know, it's so fulfilling to see your kids, you know, just have the gratitude and, and, and the happiness and the giggling and just enjoying it so much and being around their friends. And I wouldn't have traded, you know, raising our kids and the hecticness and getting down to Howelson for Wednesday night jump and getting pizza and getting, bringing potlucks and things like that. It was, that's the magic of our family, I think. Yeah. Well, and, and Nicole, I love, I agree totally. And I love what you say about balance. I do think it's interesting. And I think this is a perspective I've gotten as our kids have gotten older is um, you, you can be all in for your kids and you can love that and make that your world. And you can still have balance in the emotional part of it of how invested you are in your kids, right? And so it's like you can be there and support them and love to go away on weekends and, you know, make it all work for them. But what you maybe, what I wish maybe I hadn't done along the way was sometimes be so invested in how they were doing and what their results were. And that's where I think we get out of balance. So I think we confuse those two things, you know, it's like, yes, be all in, but also have your own life, emotionally speaking, that doesn't ride the roller coaster of your eight-year-old's results. It's just, it's not good for you. It's not good for them. And it kind of makes it all sticky. And, and I didn't always know that, but I'm getting a better perspective of that now. Well, and your professional background is showing its uh, face right now with some, you know, mental health discussion that we're going to dig into more in a little bit. And I just so appreciate your outlook on that. I think you're right on. Sometimes I get nervous because, you know, Gardner, you mentioned we're in Ski Town, USA. We're living the life. We're doing the thing. This is the best place in the world to raise a child. But how can anything ever be better? Like, we still want them to go out and explore the world. And I'm like, well, geez, some things have to happen to help them learn resiliency and that things don't always go as planned. Um, and I wonder what kind of thing may have happened in your life that have taught your kid may have taught your kids some of these lessons of resiliency and that things can be really hard. Yeah. Um well in in 2016 we were in Minnesota on a family reunion and our phones started going crazy and uh, our neighbors and the police and everyone were calling us to tell us that our house was on fire and it burned down. And that was, you know, you, you hear that your house is burned down or that it was on fire or something. You have this vision that there's something there, but it was really literally gone. I mean, it was gone. And this was your dream home. Like you yeah. were living the dream. Yeah. Yeah, for and sure. And everything in it was gone. Everything, you and know. our sweet dog. Yep. Our sweet dog, Lola. Our yellow lab. That was the hardest part, for sure. Oh. For sure. Yeah, that is that that is tough because Steamboat's also Dogtown USA. Everybody right. has a dog. Right. And, and there are families. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I mean, it was, it's nothing, you just don't ever sit around and, you know, prepare yourself for that, what that will be like. Um, and we all had a different experience in the family, every one of us. But I really think one of the things that happened after that fire was we suddenly realized why we live here and why we were a part of the community we were a part of and the Winter Sports Club being a big part of that, that, you know, the amount of love and support that we felt after that fire was 
life-changing. I mean, that was the bigger life change for me than the fire. I mean, the fire, yes, there were things, but really it was the amount of love and support that started the first day. I mean, we got home from Minnesota. You know, you're, we pulled over to tell the kids, right, in the car because they were asleep when we heard. And we, you know, said, hey, kids, we have to let you know, you know, something, you know, the house burned down. And they were like, what? You know, how could that be? Um, and then we drove to the airport. And remember, on the plane, Alyssa and Jeff yeah. uh, were on the plane, steamboat people on the plane in Minnesota, dr- flying home because it, yeah, at this end of the summer. And uh, we said, they said, hey, how are you guys doing? We said, well, we're good, but our house burned down. And, you know, they, I remember them on the plane. They bought us um, so many snacks and drinks. Like <laughs> they just like kept coming. <laughs> You know, and the kids were like, well, maybe this won't be so bad, you know. And uh, but what happened more was it was before you had Wi-Fi in the plane. And the minute we got off the plane, our phones like, I mean, I don't know how many text messages we each had. But, you know, the amount of support and outpouring from this community was unlike anything you could ever imagine, really. I mean, Nicole, there were there were kids from the Winter Sports Club that were having lemonade stands to raise money for our family, you know, and. I mean, Millie's right. Like we each had our own experience, but something that was really apparent to me very early was um, our kids were not hung up on this stuff. They, they, there, there wasn't anything like you know, oh, I wish I had that toy or that those skis or something like that. And even I remember Bodie telling me, like, people really love us. Oh, how old were the kids at this time? Oh, you're 2016. Okay, wait, that's be better. eight like, years. No, wait, yeah. six years. It was six going, years. Bodhi was going into which grade? Sixth or seventh? Yeah, I think he was 12. And Merritt maybe in third or fourth. Yeah. Um, we should know that. We'll practice that <laughs> next time. Okay. But they were little. They were little. Um, and they followed our lead, but we followed the community's lead. And maybe just to your point, Gardner, we followed their lead. Right. Like they weren't, you know, they weren't caught up on my such and such is gone. You know, they were like, wow, I can't believe all these. Like, I remember one kid wrapped up all these presents and we were staying with friends, which was great after we came back. And, you know, Mary came home and she's like, mom, look at all these presents. And it wasn't even necessarily new things. It was like some young girl had wrapped up all of her, you know, different things that she thought Merritt might need. It was uh, Piper Evans. And just so many amazing, you know, and the club stepped right up. I mean, we felt like we were like, you know, the club took care of us yeah. right out of there the gate. There were clothes. And I remember like um, Bodhi's ski group at the time, you know, did a thing where they all made or brought Christmas ornaments mm-hmm. for us and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So it was, you know, it w- it was really as we say, we don't recommend purging that way, but um, yeah, we were front it, runners on that too. It was um, it there the the silver lining was just being um, the beneficiary of so much love and support from this community and the Winter Sports Club, and you know that 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 that's going to prevail. That's going to carry this. It did carry us through it. Yeah. And I, I just remember Bodhi in particular going back because he was doing summer practice because he was further along in the Alpine program. And, you know, the kids felt 
weird, right? Because you go out in the community and everyone has something to say or feels bad or you don't know what to say. And it's, you know, kind of awkward. And I remember the person, I'm going to cry at this part, but the person that, you know, was one of Bodhi's first people that really made him feel okay was Blair. And I remember like he went and he was just panicked and she like came over, Blair Seymour, and gave him a big hug and said, you know what, Bode, we've got you. It's going to be okay. And that was his other family. Like they made it okay for him. And You know, as I look at our community and other things that happen to other families that are, you know, far harder than what we did, you know, I know I've watched these kids this year, like their safe place when things happen that are really, really hard is the club and they go back and the club welcomes them in with open arms. And that's all you wish for your kids is to have that connection, which is pretty awesome. Okay, I'm going to get it together. We're regrouped. Wow. Oh, here I have tissues. (laughs) I mean, I'm like on the edge, too, because I'm just putting myself in your place and going, okay, well, if it was just me and my husband, you know, it's still emotional. You're still dealing with your stuff, but it's just you two. But you have to parent two, you know, kids who are very much in formative years um, through this tragedy and help them find stability when things are crazy. But what I'm hearing is you didn't feel alone in that. You felt like very much like there was just this whole community of parents parenting your kids and supporting you. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. It was all about community. Man. And the Winter Sports Club, honestly, when we moved here, we were like, what are all those kids doing on that hill in town? Which turns out, of course, is Howelson Hill. And there's like a million different programs going at the same time. And we just said, if we ever move here, our kid is joining that club. Yeah. Hey, Coda, they ski after school. Like, you can't do that in most places in the country. No, it's just, I mean, it's the blessing of living in Steamboat Springs and having an organization like the Steamboat Springs Winter Sports Club. And it is, it's it's mesmerizing. I've had other people throughout my life and career in Steamboat Springs that have come here and considered moving here and have families and it's it's like this giant magnet, you know, you go over there and it's like, what is this? I want to be part of this. Yeah. It's it's really the, the sense of community is tangible from the second you step foot on Howlson Hill. It really is. Which, and it is. It's all the pieces that make it that, but it's the heart. I mean, I really think the Winter Sports Club, what makes it a different organization and other ski teams I can't speak for, but it is about heart and support and you know, the emotional piece for the kids and raising, you know, like their tagline is, uh, we should know that raising on and off the hill, you know, and I love that they're so holistic. I think Sarah has fostered that in the most amazing way. I see it going on, you know, with the other people running the club, you know, it's just unique. It is. And the kids know it when they're at a race too. They know they're there till the very last person comes down. They're there supporting. Like, it's just what you do if you're a member of the Winter Sports Club. She's awesome. All right, you guys. I am like, we need like a tiny little energy break, I think. (laughs) Um, Let's take a moment to hear a few words about our amazing sponsor, Honey Stinger. So um, I today actually have a marathon of interviews. So I I really need to, uh, to fuel myself up. It's interesting. Honey Stinger makes products in all kinds of categories. They started with literally like honey for performance and started adding 
you know, cool things to it to help you keep your energy up. But now they've got this three-part system. It's the prepare, perform, and recover system. And yes, I'm reading that right off the gel. <laughs> I love it. She in, sounds so good. In case you don't know what you need when, literally pick up the product and look at the back of the wrapper. But the truth is, they taste so good. And I'd love to have you guys weigh in on this um, as to which products you just chose, because I mm -hmm. see you're both opening very yeah. different things, okay. um, as to how and when you use your honey stinger. Okay. Guard. All right. Well, I'm a glutton for the waffles. Love the waffles. And I am going to open a naturally flavored chocolate waffle, which I've not had chocolate before. Mm -hmm. So this is mm -hmm. going to be good. So here oh, goes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, that sounds it. good. Is okay. Good? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I'm a cracker. I'm an organic cracker bar girl. I mean, I, they make all like these about things. That, right? Of course, it's it this actually like looks, comfort food. No, Remember, it, like saltine crackers are kind of comfort food. And this is like comfort food for performance covered in chocolate. It kind of looks like candy. It is like candy. And I'm like drinking my stinger. I'm literally having a gel. Fruit <laughs> smoothie flavored, however. So it feels like I'm having a smoothie. I love this brand. I love everything about them. I know it's like it, you know you're you're proud to see Honey Stinger when you go like to other parts of the country and see it in the grocery stores or the outdoor stores or whatever. It's like, hey, that's from that's from Steamboat Springs. It's cool. I love it. It is cool, and it just reminds us that we're all real people behind these awesome products. Mm -hmm. So when you have a chance, head over to HoneyStinger.com and visit the show notes for a discount we have just for you our Steamboat Springs Winter Sports Club show listeners. All right. We ready to go back to the show? Yeah. Yeah. Just stop eating. All right. No, you can keep eating, actually. It adds to the movie. <laughs> we'll package that one up for you. Um, okay. So we have just come back from tragedy. You guys are faced with not having a home, probably not having at least 20 pairs of ski setups. Right. That, um, you know, you know, when you move to this town, I was like, OK, so we need to get a pair of skis. <laughs> and then like <laughs> suddenly <laughs> we have each have five to eight pairs of yeah. skis for different kinds of skiing that you can do. I didn't even know you could ski all these different ways. Um, so I only imagine that not only did you lose your home, you lose the things that are inside your home. You lost the things that you use for your recreation, your activities. Um, you said the club really stepped up. Were you able to get the kids right back out there enjoying their their sports? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was definitely, um, um, I remember, I can't remember the head coach's name at the time, but, you know, he came up and he was like, you know, let me know if you need contacts to get the equipment coming and stuff like that. So that part was kind of, kind of the easy part, you know, the, I, I did have like a surreal, surreal moment. The day after the fire was my birthday. And um, at Ski House, you can go in on your birthday and buy, you know, something at a birthday discount. And, you know, I walked in and I burst out laughing because I was like, they're like, what's so funny? Like, you should be so sad. And I was like, well, I, I've come in here every other birthday. And it's like, what do I need? I don't really need anything. And I was like, I need everything. Great. That was so great. <laughs> yeah. Just the gift, oh my right? gosh, I right. love it. Oh, that right. is so insane. And and we did have like, you know, I remember, I mean, so many people I couldn't even mention, but Ski House, like suddenly they gave you a $500 gift certificate that day, which, you know, just unbelievable things. And and someone set up a GoFundMe page for us, which, you know, really, I think that speaks volumes to our community, right? That 
Um, and, you know, we knew Michelle a little, but we didn't know her real well. But it just happened. And, and it was such a gift to us. It was a way for people to support us, but it also allowed us to, you know, move forward and replace all those things. And I love the statistic. I think it's true. I haven't fact-checked it, that Steamboat per capita is has the highest GoFundMe page amount raised of any place in the world, maybe, yeah, in this. I mean, really? like we are good at GoFundMe and Steamboat because we're all heart. And, you know, if you look at it anywhere, it's like it's what our community does, right? And, and, and we definitely reap the benefits yeah. of that. Wow. We're all heart. I love it. Okay, so I want to hear a little more about, let's segue to some parenting stuff, because you've been through a lot. You know, your story is amazing how you met and how you built a family here. And then you went through this crazy tragedy. And now you are, you've got kids who are entrenched in these winter snow sports. You're trying to support their careers. You're managing the chaos during this crazy time. Would you say your kids learned any valuable life lessons when, you know, during this time in their life? And how, you know, how did their skiing journeys or snowboarding journeys or whatever they ended up doing progress after this point in your life? You know, I mean, that was the stability in their lives, right? I mean, they had school and their friends, but they had the club and they're both alpine skiers. That's just how it kind of worked out. We never made that choice. They made that choice along the way. Um, but that's was their safe place. That was what was normal. Yes, we were living in a different house. Yes, we were, you know, luckily our friends at Gerber Baron, you know, built us a house and we were doing that at the same time and navigating all of that. But really, when they went to the club, it was all the same for them. Like it wasn't that, you know, they had all this going on. It was the same. And and they had ups and downs, you know, during that time. I remember Bodie was injured mm-hmm. um, during that time, and that was hard. And Merritt had a concussion for a year during that time, Oh, wow. you know, That's and easy. that was really hard. Although I, you know, in hindsight, I think both of those gave them time to slow down and process too, you know. But the club was sort of their constant, would you say? Yeah, for sure. No, it was, um, it was what they knew was normal and what was com- comfort comforting you know was that they could go and do dry land and you know hang out with their buddies and um and and even at that age you know Merritt was just getting going with it but you know she had her best friends that were at the winter sports club um skiing so that was really really like their 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 place to go and feel good well and I think a lot of parents who have kids in the club feel like they need to do a lot of guidance with their kids. And I think that's probably true until they're a certain age. And you made this point just now. You said they chose to do Alpine. It was their choice. Mm-hmm. At what age and stage did that all happen when you, like, can you look back and go, yeah, we were really involved and then it kind of studied out and then we kind of peeled off and let them make their decisions. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know that we've ever really peeled off because <laughs> yeah. Millie and I, you know, volunteer a lot and and help the club out. And we have, you know, we we host team dinners and and things like that. So we never really peeled off. But like I, I remember, um, you know, Bodie was doing both Nordic Combined and Alpine. I think he was probably about twelve, and um, and he came home and he's like, I, I want to do Alpine now. And I was like, wow, you know, that good for you. You know, I, I, how'd you make that decision? And I can't remember what he answered, 
but it was, you know, that was, that was a surprise to me because I thought he really liked, you know, Nordic combine more. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know yeah. if you, I, I think we peeled off emotionally speaking, you know, so mm-hmm. I think in the beginning, there's yeah. a lot of guiding, like, let's be clear. If you are not the ultimate supporting cast, your kids aren't going to stay in any program because it's hard and it's cold and they would rather watch TV or play a video game. Like they're, you know, the path of least resistance, I think is big. So as a, as a young kid parent, you're in it. Like you are like the ultimate, like, um, you know, trainer. What's the person who brings out the water bottles, you know, at a basketball game? The like water that's, boy. You're the, that's <laughs> your role, right? And you are just there to like ease their way and keep them in it long enough that they sort of drink the Kool-Aid. Um, not that they don't love it in those early years, but there's some ups and downs. And I think if every time our kids like, I don't like this, I don't want to do it. We're like, okay, good. Don't do it. You might miss out on, you know, what right, really be amazing. So we were hands-on early on, you know, with a lot of hot chocolates and a lot of support and a mm-hmm. lot of, you know, working through, you know, drama at drop-off and things like that. Like it all happened. But then at some point it became about them. And then I do think as a parent, it, then it's their journey and you're there to support them, but you are not there to help them figure out what it should look like or how it should be or how it's going to go down. Because to think we know what the right journey is, is just, you know, we're kidding ourselves, really. That is such a good way to put it. I so want to transition into what you do, Millie. Can we do that? I think we're going to keep talking about your kids and the decisions you made as parents through the rest of the show. But, um, you know, you're on the, well, one of your areas of expertise is to talk more about the mental health side of sport. So maybe you can talk a little bit first about how you got into that because Mm -hmm. you did your thesis in comparative Comparative literature literature, with a minor in French. Not that. Yeah. (laughs) Which, yes. So, I mean, when I came to Steamboat and knew I needed a job, that was patrol. And so then I got my EMT and, and, you know, I always, the medical part I'd never thought of. I hadn't taken a science. I don't know how I graduated without one, but it just wasn't my thing. I worked for advocates as a volunteer in town. That was the domestic violence crisis line. And, you know, really realized, okay, that is something that really fills me up. And um, at some point, I had a couple friends who went to PA school and thought that would be a way to do both, you know, to have a job where I could do in Steamboat. I mean, we were always very geared for like, OK, what's going to work here? Um, and that seemed like a good option. And so went to PA school and came out. Um, and my first job was in family practice at Steamboat Family Medicine, which, you know, family practice is mental health also. Right. Because it's what uh it's the common denominator in anything that goes on with us as humans. So I did 22 years in family practice, but a lot of what I was doing was mental health, you know, maybe 75%. It just happened to be mental health along with a rash and, you know, an earache all in the same 30 minutes. And that's good. But, you know, the mental health people in the world, they should, they owe it to the family practice who do it all, right? All the time. And so at some point after 22 years, I started doing one day a week just in mental health specifically, and then transitioned last year to full-time mental health. And so that's what I'm doing now as a psychiatric PA, if you will, um, you know, diagnosing, assessing, and prescribing all mental health. Is it hard not to use your own family as your guinea pigs? (laughs) (laughs) I try. Well, one, they might say that as a medical person's uh, child or family member or spouse, you actually get very little health care at all. 
right? Mm-hmm. Merit had, she, she'll, okay, I'm just going to say it because if I don't, she'll say it somewhere. She had a broken foot for a while <laughs> before we maybe knew that it was broken oh. and, uh, <laughs> you know, some other things. But so, yeah, I will get often. Um, and, you know, Merit keeps me in line more than, you know, uh, maybe the other people in the family, but she will say, that is your therapy voice and it is not working. And, you know, you don't really need to be therapizing me right now, which is legit and true, right? I oh, sometimes that's forget. So fun. What is your therapy voice? Well, it's kind of like, well, tell me a little bit about that. Like, <laughs> how did that feel to you? And it's just <laughs> contrived and she's totally on to me because she's really smart and she just calls me all the time. Oh, that's just amazing. Okay. So, you know, as our kids get a little bit older, I mean, mental health, it spans from the minute we're born, of course, but, you know, it really starts to reach the forefront when we start to feel a lot of pressures in our life. They're trying to figure out how to manage everything. When you are a student, an athlete, a, a son or daughter, um, a friend, you know, a creative person trying to explore all these outlets, it it seems to me like the word that comes to mind is you're in a pressure cooker mm-hmm. because almost all of them come with some kind of goal or hope or dream, right? Mm-hmm. And you're trying to succeed and, you know, prove yourself in every area at once. And so it's no wonder that mental health for kids, especially in high school and junior high and even in elementary school, is really coming into the forefront as an important issue for us to face. But I think what we need today, if possible, are some things that us parents, we can do to help our kids lighten the load Mm -hmm. or to even figure out if if something's going on, because I think that's part of it. Mm -hmm. You know, mental health issues are invisible. Right. Until you talk about them. So anything you can share with us that would be helpful to the parents listening would be great. You know, there's so many ways to come at it. But when I think of, you know, maybe for this population in the club um, and we touched on this earlier, you know, that with our kids, we what we want as parents is for them to be happy. Right. Like that's all we crave. And their discomfort becomes our discomfort. And and that's how we're wired. But it's not necessarily the healthiest thing for everyone involved. So um, how to take them out of the pressure cooker is, I think, to check our own stuff at the door, like to be there for them, but to not have our happiness and their happiness intertwined, which takes effort. So when they come down and they finished at the back of the pack and they're devastated, you know, we feel devastated too. But I think as parents, and this can be school, it can be a dance performance, it can be not getting picked for a play, it can cross all boundaries, right? But when your kid has disappointment or happiness, be there, witness it, but don't feel it with them because then the pressure cooker becomes that much more intense. Like they get to have their emotions, they get to feel them and process them. That's what we want them to do. But when we mash on our emotions to their emotions, the whole thing gets way more complicated. So I guess for parents, what's the like the life hack on this one, I think would be, you know, at the end of the day, when they get in the car, you know, definitely don't say like, well, gosh, you got six. You know, I mean, those are the obvious. Like, what do you think happened there? Like, don't ever say that um, because that just creates more stress. Right. Or, you know, and then here's the secret one parents do, and I'm going to call myself out on it and every parent out there is, you know, then we ask questions, right? Somewhere along the way, we were told when we picked up our kids from elementary school, ask questions to engage them in conversation, right? But 
asking questions is really just code word for like expressing our fears and disappointments and desires, you know, without really having to say it. So saying like, well, how did so-and-so do in the race is really like, well, I guess you didn't do as well as them. And that makes me feel sad for you. And, you know, maybe you'll get to practice on time next time. I mean, I'm really outing myself like this is stuff we don't want our kids to know we think. But and and we need to work on stop thinking it. And so the the not asking questions, as much as that sounds like a joke, don't ask your kids a bunch of questions. Just be there. Just pick them up and say, hey, do you want to go to Starbucks? Or do you want to go to the bookstore for a coffee? Or, you know, what do you want to do? Like, what do you want for dinner? Or and just create space, right? Just so so don't ask, don't be too involved, don't be looking at live timing at the bottom of a race course. Like that's not helpful to them, you know, wow. just be there. I remember, I love this part, and, and it diverges a little, but River Radimus, who is, you know, world-class here, right, on the U.S. team, and his parents are friends of ours and amazing, but he never once went back then and looked at the scoreboard, right, at right. the bottom of a course, because that's not what was, it wasn't about that. And, and maybe your kids will pull up their lifetiming, but for a parent, we just don't need to be so in it because the pressure then builds. So back to your question, what can oh we do? Gosh. We can back out. We can trust their journey. We can know they're going to have highs and lows, you know, and just know that we're along to support. Now, even if you're not asking questions, then find time to be with them, right? So at the end of the night, go in and I, this is, you know, seems over the top, but, you know, hang out with them in their room, clean their room if they're a teenager and you want to spend time with them. Like it's a great way to have a conversation because they'll let you stay in their room if you're picking it up <laughs> and then you get to be with them. So point is like on one hand, detach, right, from the outcome, from the drama, from the roller coaster. And on the other hand, move in and be more present and supportive than ever, right? And when they have a bad day and say they don't want to go, don't latch on to that. Just be like, I get it. It's hard. You know, what can we do to make that better? Oh, I'm so guilty of all of this. And Me too. I, <laughs> I'm sitting here going, I am relentless with my questioning. You know, how was your day at school? What did you do in this class? How was this friend? You know, I mean, this is, ah, uh, you're right, though. It does make sense. And um, I have another question before we turn the mic over. Uh, Tim and I parent very differently and it's, I think we play off each other in a not positive way sometimes. So like some interaction will happen with Tim and our daughter Wilder, um, you know, say it's sports related, whatever. And then I'll swoop in to make her feel better if she didn't feel great from something or vice versa. But he doesn't usually do the swooping. I swoop in. And I know I shouldn't. And I know I don't want to have this dynamic because it's actually really bad for our marriage, probably. Right, right. And we're going to have to start visiting the counselor right. and I'll be calling you, <laughs> Millie. When can you see me and Tim? Yeah. But like, I don't know how to stop right. it. Right. I mean, it's, Gard, yeah. you weigh in. We do. That's been our dynamic. That was our dynamic. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I am totally aligned with my wife and yeah. parenting. I'm the expert. She is an expert. <laughs> right. And you just follow everything she says. No, we had the same dynamic. It hurt me more. Like when I say all this, it's because I am the you know number one offender of my kids' pain causing me great pain and yes. going to whatever lengths I could do, oh. you know, to ease their pain. Right. And so the um where and oh, we've seen this, right? Like we saw both of our kids have success early 
in their skiing and then they get attached to that and you get attached to that and you think, well, that's going to be your journey. And then we've seen both of our kids, you know, really struggle Mm -hmm. and not have success and be in the back of the pack. And, and, you know, it's been hard to watch. So here would be my advice on that is what I have as a swooper myself (laughs) is, uh, and I, you know, just trust their journey. So trust that whatever they're feeling in that moment is part of their journey. And it's part of what's going to make this experience formative for them, right? And and so even if you have to believe like, well, someday when, you know, she's the president of the United States, it will have been really helpful to have known what it felt like to lose. You know, I mean, even as a parent with all the ego involved, you can just trust that this is part of their journey. So, and that doesn't mean you don't have to, you know, swooping in, I think gets a bad rap in that you can still support them. So you don't have to fix it. So the the goal is to not fix it, but to attend to it, right? So to process. So you want to process with them. You want to talk it out. You want to be around. You want to let them without fixing, without brainstorming, without giving any advice. So so I think that's where I toned my swooping down uh, a little bit and I don't know what you did. Were you doing it right in the beginning? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> no, I don't think so either. I, I think, you know, it it is, you know, you have to trust in your partner, in your relationship, that, you know, you both have the same best intentions in mind. And there's, you know, there's different ways to skin a cat. And um, I think what Millie's talking about is that you know, there is a fundamental understanding between both of us that we can't fix it. There's so many things that are unfixable. There's so many things that we can't explain why something happened. Why did our house burn down? Why, you know, why did my ski fall off in in my in the best race I've ever had in my life? I don't have an answer to that, but I'm here for you if you want to talk about it. And, you know, so Millie, Millie is, you know, an awesome parent. And I don't think, you know, that swooping in is a bad thing because she's really, you know, there for our kids and and present and not judgmental and not fixing it. You know, maybe, maybe what we're saying is that having two different parents, two different kinds of parents is a good thing. Yeah. And we can embrace and appreciate that, but we can also still do a little better and grow and learn for our kids as well. Yeah. I love it. You know, one of the things that I really love to help combat anything that's hard is humor. Mm. And uh, I think this is the perfect time to pass the mic to another person who's just joined us (laughs) for the interview by the name of... Peter Lemongello. That is my (laughs) alter ego. And, um, you know, I mean, people ask me, like, how did I get into announcing races and announcing events and being an MC and stuff like that? And, um, you know, it was kind of by accident. I was injured uh, while I was coaching for the Winter Sports Club. I was on crutches and uh, someone said to me, you know, would you be our announcer for this event? I can't even remember, remember what it was. And I was like, Sure. You know, and didn't really think about it too much other than I knew what I didn't want to be. I didn't want to be here's number 26 with a time of 102.7, which is just kind (laughs) of like what it was like everywhere you went. Mm -hmm. You know, having been a coach, 
you know, I, I saw how much time and effort and sacrifice was going into this. And I was like, let's make this fun and exciting. And, you know, I mean, if there's one thing I'm guilty of, it's like, you know, I think after I talk. So a lot of times, you know, I've, I've said inappropriate things or made a joke and it's not that funny. It sounds a lot funnier in my head, but I just, you know, my intention was to bring a sense of, you know, we're all here to have fun. This is a fun thing. And I've continued that at the, at the very highest levels. You know, the, the uh, holiday classic, the Murphy Roberts holiday classic is coming up. And for if you've got listeners that have never been to it, this is like America's night slalom. This is what ski racing is about to uh, should be about. And and um, I'll never forget, Bodie got to forerun one year, and I said, "What was that like?" And he's like, "Dad," he said. the The starter said, 10 seconds." And all of a sudden, my heart started beating faster than it's ever beaten my whole life. And I looked down and the whole town is there. And, and you know, I, that's what it's about. It's like, it is just this beautiful spectacle. It, there's fires and there's, um, um, you know, I, cowbell and they have uh, glue vine. And so it's a great event, but like, to, to your point about announcing, like, I don't have any formal background in this. I'm, I'm the village idiot, and I, I'm the first to admit that. And, um, you know, I'll see someone's name, and it sounds funny, and I'll come up with a nickname. And, you know, sometimes it works, and sometimes there's a dad trying to bust down the door because, you know, I said something that affected their kids. <laughs> and, um, you know, but... My my intentions are, let's make this fun, yeah. You know, and exciting. You know, there's something really exciting when we have the NCAA championships here, and the last two skiers are coming down the hill, and this is you know for all the marbles. This is for an NCAA championship. Let's build it up. Let's get the crowd going and stuff like that. So that's what I love to do. That's what I love about it. Okay, so he, what you're saying is. They just needed a voice on a mic. And what happened is a whole nother side of you came yes. out and a passion erupted. And you have been the voice of <laughs> Steamboat Springs Winter Sports Club and beyond events um, yeah. for, for years, decades. Yeah. I mean, like if honestly, I mean, really sincerely, like if if I have a gift, my gift is that I don't freak out talking in front of a lot of people. I know that's really like nerve wracking to some people. My brother is like the funniest person I know. And I said, you should be a stand-up comedian. And he's like, oh God, I can't talk in front of people. I don't know why I can do it, but I can do it. And, you know, there's, there's, it's, it's great. And it's hard sometimes I've, you know, I've done memorials and, and funerals and that's the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, but, you know, being able to hide behind Peter Lemongello, uh, <laughs> my alter ego, you know, somehow helps me get through it. Okay, so this is um, this is funny. When we, <laughs> my daughter did her first Wednesday night jump competition. Yeah. Do you do those? I have done those, yeah. I, I, I've, I, you had to 
be there because there were some really weird and funny and out there remarks being made. And oh, yeah. someone actually even, I, so here's what happened is I was like, oh my God, those jump announcers are hilarious. So when I pitched this podcast to the powers <laughs> that be at the club, I was like, we should get the jump announcers to like do the intro and definitely get them on the show at some point. So, hey, well, we did it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. But um, another thing I just really remembered is my daughter remembered how you said her name. And, uh, you know, it was just something like, she's putting down da boom. And, you know, something fun and funny, and it made her smile. And there was a comment about, you know, how she was skating in her jump skis to get back to the magic carpet. And, you know, it's just those little things help. Yeah. If it was just like, Number seven. Yeah, that's it. You know, went three point five meters. That's it's, nothing. That's not that fun. No, yeah, we got to keep it fun. And I, I don't know if I was announcing your daughters, but there's other really great, funny people that you know. If I, you know, help break the mold of like, you know, let's let's make this a celebration and fun. So be it. Okay, so can you give the backstory on Peter? Peter Lemongello? Yeah, how did he... I actually Googled him and it's spelled a slightly different way. I believe he's like a composer. Oh, uh, I, I, I did not know there's a real person. <laughs> well, I'm, it's a G, not a J. Yeah, um, I first heard <laughs> it in a, um, a movie, uh, Fletch, uh, Chevy Chase. I love Fletch. Yeah, Chevy Chase. Showing our age. Went here. into a sound booth at... Uh, at in in one scene, and he said, uh, "I'm Peter Lemoncello," and it just kind of stuck in the back of my thick head. And so, when did you like introduce Peter to the world? Hmm, I think you know probably the Holiday Classic, Mur Murphy Roberts Holiday Classic, way back when. And then uh, I've announced a lot of the Winter Carnival night shows. I stand up there in this gaudy fur coat and. <laughs> It is fake. Yeah, your your <laughs> listeners need to understand it's not real fur. <laughs> well, if it was, it would have been like hunted 20 years ago. Oh, yeah, and, exactly. Know, honored and all of the things. So, yes. Um, and I will say, you know, yeah, when you're announcing in a booth, it's one thing. But when you're on a stage and thousands of people yeah. are, are waiting, you know, leaning on your every word, I think that's a whole nother kind of pressure that most people can't handle. And you don't seem to see it as pressure. You see it as fun. Yeah, I, it's kind of um my way to give back to the community and it's it's a fun way and sometimes um sometimes it's not a fun way but it, it's still giving back and um you know i'm i i i don't think i'm as good as some people think i am and um but i i always you know feel proud to be part of it and part part of you know, the celebration of the sport, the celebration of the Winter Sports Club of our community. It's the, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great way to give back. Well, I say that when we can be proud of something, that means a lot. So yeah. You're amazing. Thank you. You're both amazing. We're about to wrap it here. We're going to wrap it with both of you, actually, maybe all three of you. Answering our final question that we ask every guest, guest that comes on the show, and that is, what is the greatest lesson you've learned through sport? Who wants to take it first? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm going to talk about sport 
in in the skiing sense. And that is, you know, Millie touched on this before. And it's like, there are a lot of ways to be invested in our kids' activities and their success and their failures and their trials and tribulations and whatnot. And I'm really proud that, um, you know, I'll go, I'll go to a race and I jump in and volunteer and there's no better way to watch it because you're up close and personal, but it also gets you out from behind your cell phone looking at live timing, which personally drives me crazy. It's like, why are you, why are you even at this event in Crested Butte? You're just standing at the bottom. You're not even watching your child's race. You're just looking at the results. And, you know, that was, um, that was, I can't remember exactly how you said it, Mill, but, you know, that was a way to be involved and support them, but take a step back and really be present. Like, wow, I saw that turn out of coming out of that delay and you were unbelievable. Your hip was on the ground. It was crazy, you know, and that's, that to me is really kind of what, what's been my greatest lesson because before kids, I think I was all about results and looking at that, but it's like, there's so many steps in this process to become great athletes, great individuals, great human beings. And yeah, so if my, my advice to people is put down the live timing and go be a gate gatekeeper or a slipper or something like that and watch, watch your kids do what they love to do. I love it. I love that. I think mine is going to be similar regard. Um, what I've learned through sport is more as a parent, honestly, than as an athlete myself, because maybe I wasn't really very good one, um, but is just to trust their journey, to really trust their journey and and to support them in their journey um, and to not get your happiness from their journey because theirs is going to be a roller coaster and they're counting on you to stay on the ground and be there and ground them because they've got the ups and downs. They're theirs. And I think just to, it's, I look at kids who I work with who are older and being involved in something, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be the Winter Sports Club, but being involved matters in their lives. So as parents, learn to make the investment in supporting their journey, whatever that is. And and to not think it's like we stand by the sidelines and if they happen to pop out of bed in the morning and are, you know, raring to go and never complain, then it's all good. And if they don't, then we say, well, you don't really like this. Let's not do it. Like we're really shooting ourselves in the foot when we do that. So be there for your kids. Know every family. It doesn't matter if you're Ben Barron going to the Olympics. There are days he didn't want to go jump, you know, and that's going to happen. So what I've learned is like, it's not about what it looks like. It's about what it is. And Get on board with your kids, support them emotionally more than anything. Don't link it to money. Like it's expensive. We all know that, but it should never be linked to that, right? If we choose as parents to want to do it, and I don't take it lightly, you know, but it's not like, oh, you're winning. So it's worth it because we spend a lot. It's that, you know, we choose to give them that support financially, emotionally by showing up. And then there are no strings attached. You know, we're along for the ride. And then when they get older and they're in high school and they have to get up and train at eight because their coach makes them and not you, and you don't even have to tell them to get out of the house, it's paid huge dividends for them and their life and their journey. So 
you know, trust their journey, the highs and the lows, don't attach and, you know, enjoy the ride. Pretty awesome. Well said. Well, Bodie and Merritt, you two are lucky kids. You may not always realize it, but just come back to this episode every so often and remember how cool your parents are. Millie and Gardner, thank you for joining me. Peter Limongello, thank you for the appearance today. It's been a blast. Thank you. You're awesome. It's really been fun. Thank you, Nicole. A boom. Yeah, nice. That's it. Thank you for listening to the Steamboat Springs Winter Sports Club Show presented by Honey Stinger. Check out the club's winter and summer programs at sswsc.org. If you have a special topic or guest you want featured, we'd love to hear from you. Now get out there and support, lead, or be a champion on or off the mountain. <laughs>